And welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, I've actually been waiting on this interview for a while because I have a native South Carolinian affirming graduate. Um, and I want you to start, uh, Mr. Brandon Tinsley, by walking us through the arc of your career. Talk about your upbringing in South Carolina and each of your career stops since you graduated as a Palladian. That's right. Furman Palladians. Did I get that paladin, right? Paladin. Paladin. What is a, what is start off with? What is a paladin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, basically, it's like, you know, Furman, um, the mascot used to be like the Christian Knights. Um, and so, you know, it used to be Southern Baptist affiliated. And so a paladin, if I remember correctly, is uh, sort of like a person on a horse, uh, <laughs> sort of like a knight. Uh, so that is where a person on a from. horse. Uh, your yep. your alumni association is really going to be upset with you <laughs> about a person on a horse. But we'll talk I'll get you. an email later about it. <laughs> well, tell us about every one of your stops before you got to uh, where you are now with your beat with Capital B, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, I graduated graduated from Furman in 2012. I was a German political science major. Uh, you came and spoke to us on campus. Um, and so I actually spent a little bit of time abroad after I graduated. So I did a, I was on a Fulbright scholarship in Germany, uh, teaching English. Uh, then I went to grad school in the UK at Oxford. Uh, I got a master's in political science, uh, spent a year in Thailand, um, on a loose fellowship. And so I was, uh, working as a, as an editor and a reporter, um, at a magazine that focused on Myanmar politics. Um, and so that's what I was doing sort of immediately after college came to dc in 2016 uh fall of 2016 so big election year uh and so i sort of was working in the think tank space before um, i went into sort of full-time journalism and so i was working at uh center for american progress for a little bit then i went to new america where i was the associate editor um, and then actually right before i came to capital b i was working at cnn for about three and a half years and so there let's let's we got a lot to unpack in this yeah. I, <laughs> I want to i got to ask you a very specific question the leap off but we got to delve into this for a minute first of all you what were you doing at cnn how come we didn't have coffee or anything when you were there uh, i i don't know so i was uh i i started on the politics team so i was a national political writer um, and my beat was, it was uh, a really interesting sort of new thing that they were testing, but I was an analysis writer and my beat was really looking at the intersection of culture, identity, and politics. But I was sort of uh, anchored on the politics team uh, before I went to the race and equality team a little bit later. Gotcha, gotcha. And where are you from, from? Uh, so I was born in Arizona. So parents, uh, my both of my parents were in the army, that's how they met. Um, and we moved to South Carolina when I was six or seven. So I was in South Carolina for, you know, the rest of elementary school, the middle school, high school. And I went to, uh, as we said, Furman University in Greenville, what, South what, Carolina. I'm trying to, there's some, I'm getting to my point, but what high school did you go to? <laughs> uh, Ridgeview High School. You went to Ridgeview in Columbia. So I, yep. are you, are you one of the few Ridgeview graduates to ever go to Oxford? I want people to truly understand your path is. Coming from South Carolina, I graduated from Orangeburg, Wilkinson. Okay. I want to give you your flowers while you're living because your path to where you are now, I mean, we'll get the capital B because that's pretty dope. And that's the reason I'm excited to have you here. But I didn't know about uh, I didn't know about Thailand. I didn't know about Oxford. Uh, you know, I didn't know about these stops you had in between studying German. What what made you want to do these things coming from where we come from? We don't see a lot of people who major mm -hmm. in German. Right. We don't see a lot of people who study abroad and get these fellowships. Well, the young people listening to this podcast and maybe that'll be at a Ridgeview senior class one day. What when did it click for you and what made you do the things you're doing? Yeah. So like I, I, so I have a twin brother. We both went to Furman. So I'm just dropping all these like details on you. But uh, 
Oh, we got it in the interview. Twins or terrorists? As a parent to <laughs> twins, you guys make our lives difficult. Jeez. Go ahead. Shout out Um, And so actually, I started studying German. I mean, I had a sort of a broad interest in like European history before uh, college. But I remember at Furman, um, at least when I was there, you had to take, I think it was three semesters of a foreign language. I was like, you know what? I'll do German. I'll get this requirement out of the way. But I fell in love with the language. Like I, I always sort of was interested in sort of like reading languages, literature, things like that. Um, and so I was like, can I major in this language? Like I like I had never really seen somebody like me who was like a, a German major. Um, and so I remember talking with one of my professors. She was like, you should absolutely do it. I was able to study abroad my sophomore year. Um, and I I loved it. So like I don't use German as much as I, you know, obviously used to like 10, 15 years ago. Um, but, you know, whenever I've talked to Furman students and things and people like that, I've always said that, you know, in a lot of ways, studying a foreign language as an adult and having to think about language on that, that sort of granular level uh, really set me up, I think, to be a journalist, somebody who was always parsing words and sentences and how you're conveying ideas. So like I, you know, I'm not using German in my day to day, but um, that those skills uh, that I that I developed when I was a student at Furman, I still use them. No, I mean, that's that's incredible. I know we got off on a tangent. Your background is 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 just amazing. I just want to tell you that I admire you for everything you've done and you, you're just slightly younger than I. Talk about your beat now with Capital B News and for people who haven't heard of Capital B News. And by the way, it's not just Capital B, it's Capital B News. Uh, where is it and how can they find it? Like the very simple questions at the beginning of it. Yeah, we are um, at capitalbnews.org. Uh, we have, so we have a national team and then we have our local teams. And so thus far we have a team also based in Atlanta, Capital B Atlanta. I am on the national team, I'm the national politics reporter. And so my beat, uh, you know, I just joined in February earlier this year um, and I love it. So my beat, I cover basically how politics and uh, how policies and political movements affect Black people in America. And I also sort of look at sort of the political influencers um, who are shaping some of this discourse. Uh, so, you know, a lot of my work uh, more recently has focused on these uh, these gerrymandering voting mm -hmm. maps uh, cases, how they affect Black political power, especially in the South. Uh, but yeah, we have a, let's see, a climate and environment reporter, we have a health reporter, we have a criminal justice reporter, we have a rural issues reporter, and then we have me, the politics reporter. So what does that mean? That's, listen, I can tell you've been in TV, around TV enough to know that's a natural <laughs> segue. Good progression there. I want to start with South Carolina and the South Carolina racial gerrymandering case. For those people who don't know, it's called Alexander versus the South Carolina Conference of the NAACP or the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. What's it about? How similar is it or different is this case from the Alabama case that resulted in a second Democratic majority minority district in Alabama? And I watched it. I don't think we're going to end up with the same outcome. But what's your prognosis for having the same outcome in South Carolina? Yeah, it looks uh, a little more bleak, we'll say, than the Alabama case. So like this, the South Carolina case, it's uh, it's looking at a really difficult question in a lot of ways, but it's looking at whether South Carolina Republicans, when they uh, redrew the congressional map uh, after the 2020 census, uh, whether they discriminated against Black voters in order to shore up a Republican advantage. Uh, so it's looking at this sort of gray area between partisanship goals and illegal racial discrimination. Um, and so it, it gets a little 
trickier um, than just like outright racial discrimination would be uh, because the Supreme Court, I believe in 2019, basically absented itself from uh, looking at partisan gerrymandering, uh, saying that we'll leave it to the states. Um, and so the sort of the stakes of the this current South Carolina case are if South Carolina Republicans are successful with saying like, oh, we it's it's not really our fault if we discriminate against black people as we are pursuing our partisan goals, then there's the possibility that that opens up an avenue for um, similar uh, maneuvering in other states, um, especially in states throughout the South. And so to your point about, um, you know, how's it different from the Alabama case, that case was Allen v. Milligan. Uh, it was looking at, uh, it was looking, it was a Voting Rights Act case. Uh, so it was looking at how, uh, based on the percentage of Black voters in Alabama, I believe they have 20, 27% uh, of the voting age population is Black, um, they needed a second congressional district. And so the Supreme Court over the summer basically was like, this uh, your current current map likely uh, discriminates against uh, black voters. It dilutes their political power. So you need to add a second congressional district. And so that's what happened in that case. You know, anyone who's been paying attention to it knows there was a lot of back and forth as Alabama Republicans were <laughs> resisting that. Uh, but yeah, South Carolina, uh, it, it's looking at similar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's looking at a similar sort of dynamic, uh, but it's uh, asking sort of different questions. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So one of the more controversial aspects in this case is about our congressman, uh, Jim Clyburn, mm -hmm. and how he may have struck a deal with Republicans in the state house to move black voters um, from Charleston County, in Charleston County or from Charleston County, from the first congressional district to his district, the sixth congressional. First, is this an accurate claim? And second, if it is, does this hurt the NAACP's case in your opinion? Right. So like, I think what's really interesting about that is it it shows how and um, I'm going to cite the ProPublica reporting uh, that sort of really dug deep into this. Uh, but it shows how this issue of gerrymandering can be a double edged sword. Uh, these issues of packing and cracking. Um, so how you sort of pack black voters into sort of a limited number of areas. So in this instance, uh, Jim Clyburn's district um, giving, uh, you know, basically ensuring that he'll have a larger black population, a black voting population that will vote for him. Uh, but then what happens is that dilutes um, 
Black people's ability to potentially affect other districts. Um, and so that's why it's controversial to move, you know, it was more than 30,000 Black voters in Charleston County from District 1 to District 6. Um, so that's sort of the, the trickiness of it is like you're giving Black voters an opportunity to affect uh, the outcome of elections, but really you're saying like, but you're only going to be able to do it in this limited area as opposed to being able to potentially do it a little bit more broadly in your state. Uh, whether it hurts uh, the NAACP, I think that is a key question because I think that's what uh, the Republican nominated justices on the Supreme Court uh, might be looking at is like whether like, is this really racial discrimination if um, sort of a kingmaker, a black Democrat in the state was also sort of involved with this. Um, it, I, I think it does have the potential to sort of muddy the waters, um, at least as far as the challengers are concerned. What do you think about my theory, which was uh, kind of espoused and and they dug a little deeper in the ProPublica Pro article that particularly throughout the South, there's this unholy alliance between black legislators and Republicans to uh, take as many black voters as you need and, and shed if you're a white Republican in the South, uh, black voters that you may not want. Um, because I firmly believe that if in this day and age, that if you're black and you are in the United States Congress, you should be able to win with a 35% BVAP. Your thoughts on that? No, I I, I agree. Like it is, uh, it, it, even I think before I had read the ProPublica article, I hadn't seen it so clearly articulated, right? I thought that idea, that notion of like an unholy alliance, um, it does complicate it, right? So like race and politics and partisanship are really complicated topics when we're, especially when we're um, looking at the South. Uh, and so that idea that like, deals are struck. Um, it's like, we will give you representation here um, as long as we get the representation we want there. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. It's, it's it's tricky. It's complicated. And especially in the South, it like really adds a, adds a tricky dimension, we'll say, uh, to this whole conversation. Let's assume a best case scenario and the Supreme Court agrees that maps violate the Voting Rights Act. I don't think it's going to happen, but let's just live in that fantasy world. Then what? Do you get maps in time for 2024? If so, what does that do about Nancy Mays? Right. And I, I think that's what, uh, you know, people like the South Carolina uh, NAACP are expecting. Taiwan Scott, who's an individual plaintiff in the case, um, who lives in uh, District 1, that's what he's expecting. And so basically, yeah, if the Supreme Court uh, does agree with what the lower court ruling um, said earlier this year, which is that this was a um, racial gerrymander, um, then that map will have to be redrawn before the 2024 congressional elections. Um, as we know, uh, the House uh, narrowly divided. <laughs> um, and so as we're looking at how this could affect other uh, other maps, voting maps cases uh, across the South, elsewhere in the country, um, I think people are really looking at the extent to which this could affect the number of seats uh, that Democrats have in the House and whether this could uh, help them sort of um, uh, be able to push policies that they want in a way that they haven't been able to do um, since the 2020 census in the, in the uh, midterm elections last year. So let's let's talk about some of these other cases that that uh, we're, you alluded to, and I'll take them state by state. Just give us kind of your brief overview and and your prediction for outcome, if you can. I don't I, I stopped betting on politics and <laughs> Supreme Court a long time ago. I actually stopped betting on the Supreme Court when John Roberts wrote the opinion upholding the Affordable Care Act, because boy, did was that a shocker to everybody. Um, but let's take them state by state. Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana is very much tied to the Alabama case. Uh, uh, they're going through their own sort of back and forth now in terms of uh, 
getting back into core, getting these maps redrawn. Uh, what I've heard some people tell me, uh, both uh, sort of organizers and court watchers, is basically that, you know, the tricky thing about the Louisiana case is that it's going through the Fifth Circuit, uh, which is, the, you know, the most conservative uh, circuit in the country. And so how much will this uh, delay or potentially uh, try to go against what the Supreme Court uh, basically said through the Alabama case? Um, and so one person I talked to uh, first uh, for a recent story, uh, she put it very bluntly. She was just like, I think when we're looking at some of these cases, she's like, Republicans don't necessarily need to win, at least in the short term. All they need to do is delay. delay. Um, if, if they can have another you know, round of elections, 2024, where they're able to use uh, gerrymandered maps, um, then that works for them. Basically, she was just like, they want to do in 2024 what they did in 2022, which is use maps that advantage them. So that's sort of, uh, I think, where we are with this Louisiana case and then also some other other states. North Carolina. Oof, North Carolina was brutal. Uh, yeah, so the the Supreme Court this year, it, it was like a two for one sort of blow. Um, they both uh, upheld a strict 2018 voter ID law um, and also uh, upheld an extreme partisan gerrymander that's going to help uh, that advantages Republicans in the state. Uh, and so I remember when I was talking with advocates and organizers early this year, you know, they described it as a gut punch, uh, you know, historically, as uh, certainly as black people know, voter ID laws have been designed in such a way to make it harder for black people to actually vote. Um, so that is unfortunate. <laughs> uh, but then also uh, uh, allowing sort of this uh, this partisan gerrymander uh, to go through. Um, and as we're seeing with the South Carolina case, when we're talking about sort of the former terrain of Jim Crow, party and race are very much linked. Um, and so basically, if you're able to say like, oh, give carte blanche to somebody to enact a partisan gerrymander, um, and we're talking about the Republican Party doing this, uh, then that's going to adversely affect black voters. And so that's sort of what's happening in North Carolina. Uh, Georgia? Yeah, Georgia also complicated. This is looking at adding another um, district in the sort of Atlanta metro area. McBath, um, John Lewis yeah. type area, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this case, uh, it's 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 looking at adding sort of another district, basically saying that since, uh, you know, over the past decade or so, uh, since the last census, uh, the Black population in Atlanta um, has grown enough where, uh, or the Atlanta area has grown enough where uh, there should be another uh, majority Black district or a Black opportunity district. Um, so that's what's at stake in the Atlanta, Georgia case. Uh, Ohio, which is very interesting to me. I actually think it's one of the more interesting cases that we have. Yeah, Ohio is also really interesting. I mean, in part uh, because the way that uh, one of my sources was telling what sort of framed what's going on there. Again, uh, Ohio's been going through litigation also since the 2020, <laughs> uh, the 2020 census uh, with uh, both their uh, congressional maps and their state legislative maps. Uh, you know, the state Supreme Court was striking down these maps. Uh, Republicans have sort of come back um, trying to, you know, put more maps that advantage them in place. Um but Ohio, according to at least a couple of people I've been talking to for stories, 
is interesting because they're also trying out, um, you know, other states have done this, but Ohio is now trying to do it as well, but an independent redistricting commission. So basically taking the power uh, to draw maps out of the hands of, you know, elected officials who obviously want to draw be. maps. Where it should, yeah. We got to, I mean, I think, yeah, we need, we definitely need independent commissions, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Well, right. And so I think uh, sources I've been talking to, they've been really leaning into the fact that, you know, they're, they're getting closer, they feel like in Ohio to having an independent redistricting commission uh, that will allow uh, non-elected officials to draw, um, to draw their maps, their voting maps, uh, and also incorporate public feedback. So what do people actually need? What do they want? How should these districts be drawn um, in a way that caters to the people, the voters, as opposed to um, politicians who, you know, if they're just looking professionally, it's in their best interest to draw a map that uh, makes the voters sort of secondary and ensures that they're going to stay in office. Why is that? Tell me, tell me why is that? What's, what is an elected official's number one goal? To get elected. it's it's like it's 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 self-interest i mean yeah it's one of the more i i actually think if i sat in a room with like most voters and we ran like uh we ran uh polling on independent commissions to draw lines to help kind of straighten out the unsexy part of our democracy and actually get people who have to win the problem with democracy is that people no longer have to win general elections so it's no longer an exchange of ideas you win a primary in the south you go to the united states congress Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's just my little soapbox. Florida. Ooh, Florida. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, so Florida is also interesting. It's uh, looking at how race uh, has played out in these different voting maps uh, cases. Uh, I think one of the most contentious districts in Florida is their fifth district, uh, which, you know, for years and years uh, really allowed black people in the state or at least in that part of the state to have representation in um, sort of political representation, uh, but then DeSantis sort of coming back um, after uh, Republican, the Republican legis- uh, controlled legislator had redrawn these maps uh, that already were giving Republicans uh, a partisan advantage and DeSantis basically being like, I want it to go further um, and sort of uh, deconstructing the fifth district um, in this case, when we're talking about sort of part of the Jacksonville area, you know, heavily black city. Um, and making it so that Republicans will, it, that that dish will be reliably read. Um, and so that's like sort of one of the more contentious sort of uh, cases that's going on, especially with Florida, is DeSantis sort of taking the unprecedented step of the governor sort of interjecting himself into um, the, the map drawing process or injecting himself into the map process. Whew. I hope people were paying attention to that and like taking notes and going back and exploring these cases. I actually am watching Ohio. I live in the South. I love the South. But Ohio, to me, is one of the more intriguing political cases that made its way to the Supreme Court. And Florida will always go and be Florida. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh. How so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products. Like buying back your Ikea items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. Uh, Let me ask you this, and this is an interesting question. Answer it however you wish. But do these cases help tip the power in the House of Representatives, or is it somewhat a moot point? The best candidates will win regardless, et cetera. Or is this really, is this about democracy or is this about an advantage? 
I think it is about democracy and specifically we're talking about multiracial democracy. You know, we're talking about black people being able to, in a lot of these states, uh, black people being able to influence election outcomes. Um, basically, it goes back to that principle of one person, one vote. Um, and I remember uh, this is a, a law professor put it to me uh, this way where he was like, you know, when we're looking at a lot of these cases that we just discussed, we're, we're not really looking at losing the right to vote in the way that we often think of it. So, you know, someone not being able to cast a ballot. He was like, basically, what we're really looking at is the right to an effective vote. Um, and so this idea of Black people being able to have a vote that actually counts as much as someone living elsewhere in the state. And so in that sense, I do think that it is about democracy. It's about multi, uh, about multiracial democracy, about Black people being able to um, shape the sort of uh, be able to like shape this country in the way that uh, their white counterparts have always been able to do. Brandon, I want to bring you back on the show. You're one of the smartest people we've had, and you're able to talk about it. I was worried about that, peppering you with all these questions about cases around the country. You knocked them out the park. Let me ask you the most important question. How can people follow you on social media and your reporting? Yeah, so my reporting, go to capitalbnews.org on social media. I'm on X. I don't know if people think of it like that. Twitter uh, It's my first name, last name. Um, I'm also on Blue Sky, so they can find me on some of those main platforms. Thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. This was a great episode. Thank you. Thank you.